Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Romans chapter 16, the book of Romans, the 16th chapter, Romans chapter 16 this morning, and I'm going to begin our reading in the first verse, Romans 16, beginning in verse 1. It's been a special morning. It's always a joy to see little ones on the platform and to hear the little ones sing. We thank the Lord for all the preparations and the participation of so many families this morning on this special Mother's Day. Romans 16, beginning in verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia, unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andrichinus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stychus, my beloved. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them, which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen of the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlogion, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus, Julius, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. You know, cemeteries are not always morbid and spooky places. Reality is, sometimes interesting things can be found on headstones. For instance, on the headstone of Jesse James in Kearney, Missouri, are these words. Murdered by a traitor and a coward whose name is not worthy to appear here. Carved on the headstone of Ellen Shannon, we read these words. Fatally burned March 21st, 1870 by the explosion of a lamp filled with R.E. Danforth's non-explosive burning fluid. In Rudoso, New Mexico, a headstone says, here lies Johnny Yeast, pardon me for not rising. Mel Blanc was called the, the uh, man with a thousand voices, especially he was known for his rendition of Bugs Bunny and on his headstone so appropriately. That's all, folks. So we open our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 16. There's a sense as you read this text that you're walking among the headstones of the great saints of the cities of Rome and Corinth. The first 15 verses of 
Romans chapter 16 are those who are living in Rome. And the headstones inscribe the names of 27 people. Then in verses 21 to 23, the Apostle Paul, as he writes from Corinth, adds an additional eight names. And so as we open our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 16, we find a passage that's packed with some 35 names, names of people who had two things in common. One, they were greatly loved by God. And two, they were greatly loved by the Apostle Paul. Throughout this passage, you're going to see the words salute and greet. This is a very personal passage. Having spent 15 chapters in very pronounced and deep doctrine, the Apostle Paul now in chapter 16 speaks of his deep devotion to these that are his friends. It's an interesting list of people. They're from various nationalities. For instance, verse 1, Phoebe, her name is a Greek name. In verse 3, you find the name Priscilla. The name Priscilla is a Latin name. And of course, in verse 6, you'll see the name Mary, which we know to be a Hebrew name. These people represent various backgrounds. From the names that are recorded here, we would assume that it's likely that 12 were slaves. For slaves in the Roman Empire had certain names that were typically given to them. For instance, in verse 9, you'll read the name of this one, Urbane. It means city. We get the word urban. It was a common slave name. In verse 14, you'll see the name of Hermes. Again, a very common slave name in the Roman Empire, such as the names in verses 22 and 23, Tertius and Quartus. Some names in this list represent those who are quite noteworthy. In verse 9, you read of the person whose name is Stychus, Stychus, and it's noted that he's from a royal house. In verse 23, Erastus is known to be the chamberlain of the city. There are six people's names in this listing of names in Romans 16 that are most important as we consider this text because they seem to be the relatives of the Apostle Paul himself. Did you notice in verse 7, he greets Andronicus and Junia? He calls them my kinsmen. He calls Herodian in verse 11, his kinsmen. In verse 21, he speaks of Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, and he calls them again his kinsmen. When Rome burned and when Corinth was destroyed and the places of antiquity were no longer inhabited, the Word of God survived. And in the Word of God are inscribed these names. And as we walk through Romans chapter 16, we walk by their headstones asking the Lord to remind us that the Word of God gives us the wonderful promise in Revelation 21 and verse 7 that there is a book of life. And no name that's in the book of life that's come to Christ as Savior will ever be expelled from it. Newell, in his commentary on the book of Romans, says, the 16th chapter of Romans is neglected, neglected by many to their own loss. I agree with Newell. I think there are many practical applications that ought to be made as we open our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 16. For instance, 
Here we learn in Romans 16 that every soul that is born is important to God. The Bible is a book filled with names. And the Bible is a book filled with names because God is concerned about individuals. The same God who makes every single leaf uniquely and every snowflake individually. The one who knows the hairs on our head, the one who knows our downsetting and our uprisings, cares about individuals. As I look at Romans 16, I immediately come to understand that the laborers behind the scenes are important to the Lord. These names could have vanished away in the memory of the Apostle Paul, but they're instead inscribed here on the sacred page. They're being remembered, if you will, as we read their names this morning, because of their works, which do indeed follow them. This passage also contains a challenge for us to be grateful. Paul's greetings are filled with thanksgiving, not only in this book, but elsewhere when you read the epistles of the Apostle Paul, always this spirit of gratitude. So in verse 22, he's thankful for Tertius. The name Tertius is not familiar to any of us. No children are on the platform this morning uh, that were named Tertius. But Tertius was a wonderful name and is a wonderful name because he's the one to whom the Apostle Paul dedicated, or dictated rather, the book of Romans. As Paul dictated the letter, Tertius wrote it. Thank God that his hand was nimble, that we have these words that have been passed down to us by the Spirit of God. And in verse 23, the Apostle Paul is thankful for Gaius, who was hosting Paul there in Corinth as Paul was writing this letter. Now, it's my privilege this morning to introduce you to some of those who are listed here in Romans 16. Today being Mother's Day, it's only fitting that we pause on some of the women's names that are here in Romans chapter 16. And because our time is a little bit limited, there are eight names in Romans 16 that represent women, and we're only going to be looking at four of them this morning. But there are four lives that challenge each of us here in 2022, these many years after these have passed on to the reward. There are lives that challenge us, and let me make a challenge, not just to the ladies this morning, but to each of us, young or old, parents or non-parents, men or women, these names challenge us. How so, Pastor Phelps? Let's pause on the first name of the first verse, found in the first verse, rather, of Romans 16. Her name is Phoebe. And let me encourage you to serve like Phoebe. Phoebe. Romans 16, verse 1, I commended you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. Paul identifies Phoebe as a servant. The word servant, diakonon there, is the feminine of the word diakonus, or the one word that we get our contemporary word deacon. There are those who look at her introduction and put forward the idea, was there a special category of servants in the ancient church called deaconesses? No time to labor over that question this morning. I do have opinions about it. But I want you to notice with me that as the Apostle Paul recognizes this lady, she's not the only lady who's recognized for her service. In verse 6, Paul recognizes Mary who bestowed much labor on us. Uh, 
And in verse 12, Paul recognizes two more ladies, Trifina and Trifosa, who labor in the Lord. We're learning from this passage that God's not looking for socialites. He's not looking for those who are particularly precocious in their studies. He's looking instead for servants. Jesus said, whoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give himself a ransom for many. If you would be like Christ, if you would please the Father, then learn from Phoebe and others in this passage to be a servant. Now, we all live in this tension point. I find myself in this tension point, and I think you can relate to it as well. Sometimes an opportunity for service comes along. We hate to say it. We shudder to think. But sometimes it actually crosses our mind. I think I'm too good for that. When that crosses our mind, we need to be reminded that Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. He wants us to be servants. And on the other hand, sometimes opportunities for service come along and Satan whispers in my mind, and I don't think I'm alone in this, and says, you're not worthy of this, or you can't. And we need to be reminded that Satan's an accuser who accuses the brethren night and day. There are two characteristics of Phoebe that pop off the page in this passage. Two things that we ought to note. Paul says to the church, receive her. And Paul also says that she hath been a succorer of many. Receive her. Why? Because she's carrying the letter that we're reading this morning. She had the privilege of carrying the letter, the epistle of Paul to the Romans. She was the one who carried the word. And the Bible also tells us in this passage that she had been a succorer of many. She had in her heart this capacity to care for others. If you would serve like Phoebe, learn to carry the word. Paul commended Phoebe to the church, instructing them to receive her. And as they received her, she carried the very letter that we considered this morning. She carried the epistle of St. Paul to the Romans. Now, when Paul sent his letter to the Romans, he had a choice. How will I get this to them? He could have sent it by a slave. That was a typical way of sending an epistle, a letter in the Roman world. He could have sent it by cursus publicus. Cursus publicus means there was a Roman postal service. He could have paid for the postage and sent it on its way. The third way that many people would send very important documents would be to commission a friend. And that's what the Apostle Paul chose to do. He asked Phoebe to carry the letter of the Romans to the Romans, from Corinth to the Romans. Phoebe lived in Sincrea. That's eight miles south of Corinth. It's a port city. It was the common port of the Corinthians. And so Paul says to Phoebe, would you take this letter? Now, Rome is 700 miles away from her home. She had a choice. She could go by foot or by ground, or she could go by sea. If she chartered a vessel and went by sea, took herself a ticket on a boat, it would be, if winds were prevailing well, maybe seven days for her to get all the way to Rome, about 100 miles a day. If she went by foot and carriage and on the back 
of some ancient animal, she probably would have taken five to six weeks to get this letter to the Romans. Can you imagine Phoebe there in her home in Sincrea, in this port city as she's packing her purse? She's getting ready to take everything she needs. She's got her lipstick. She's got her blush. She's got her iPhone. You have to have that for your GPS system. And then she tucks into her purse the book of Romans. How do we know that she's the one who carried the book to the Romans? Well, when he uses the phrase that she's commended unto them, that was a typical phrase in the vernacular to say, this is one that I'm sending on a personal errand for me. Donald J. Barnhouse in his commentary on the book of Romans says, early tradition says that she carried the epistle to the Romans from Paul to the church in the capital. Never was there a greater burden carried by such tender hands. The theological history of the church of the centuries was in the manuscript which she brought with her. She carried with her the light that would light the torch of the Reformation. Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. She carried with her the message of salvation to the lost that God commends His love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Word of God says, the wages of sin is death. But Romans tells us the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where would we be without Romans chapter 10 and verse 13? Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. As she carries this book, she carries with her a message of hope that has come to be the hope of so many who are here even this morning. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them which are the called according to His purpose. Faithful Phoebe is listed first because she carried the Word. And let me encourage you to consider what an example faithful Phoebe ought to be each one, to each one of us. Carry the Word. God has commissioned you. Carry the Word into your home. Let it be the light into your children's souls. Carry the Word into your neighborhood. Let your neighbors see the light and come to know the Father which sent you. Carry the Word into your place of employment. Carry the Word of God in a time when the world is confused God has commissioned us to be salt and light by carrying the Word. And when we face times of frustration, don't forget Isaiah 55 says, His Word will never return unto Him void. When you pack for the day, what do you carry with you? Do you carry a gospel pamphlet? A piece of God's Word to share with someone else? The hope that God will give you an eternal conversation? Are you a carrier of God's Word? Those who serve like Phoebe carry the word, and they carry a burden for others. Verse 2 says, she has been a succor of many, and myself also. That word, succor, means one who's been a patroness. What's a patroness? That doesn't help much, Pastor Phelps. Well, a patroness is someone who gives what they have to provide for the needs of others. It may well have been that this dear lady who's named first in this chapter, Phoebe, was a wealthy woman. Perhaps like Lydia, who sold purple 
and was able to use her means to the establishment of the church in Philippi. We don't know. But we do know this, don't we? We know that Phoebe had a personal concern for others. She was a Galatians 6-2 Christian. Are you? The Bible says in Galatians 6 and verse 2 that we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You find along the way that some Christians are like velvet and some Christians are like Velcro. The velvet Christian, the burdens of others just slide right off of them. The Velcro Christian is one who hears the burdens of others and empathetically and spiritually relates to that one and helps to carry that burden. We are all commissioned to be Velcro Christians. Phoebe was a Velcro Christian. My mother was a Velcro Christian. This morning has been a bit of an emotional morning for me. I've reflected today that this is the 40th year since my mother's passing. As I reflected on that, I reflect with thanksgiving for the heritage that she gave to me. My mother was born into a very difficult situation. Born in 1929 without the benefit of a father. In fact, she never met her father. She was reared by her grandparents. And they weren't necessarily godly. In fact, her grandfather was quite a drinker. She came up in a home in Boston, Massachusetts that was quite divided going through many challenges. She attended a Swedish covenant church where they preached and sang in Swedish. And then one Sunday, a young minister from Gordon College came to the church. He shared God's word clearly. My mother came to know Christ as Savior. By God's grace, as she reached her mid-twenties, she realized she would like to be involved in nursing. And so she enrolled in the Swedish Covenant School of Nursing in Chicago, Illinois, to be a blessing to others. There she would meet my father. I thank the Lord for that meeting. If they hadn't had that meeting, I wouldn't be telling you about it this morning. <laughs> and they went on to have four children and my mother, a pastor's wife, always so active but never so active in our home with all the duties and responsibilities of our care that she wasn't able to care for others. I can still remember her hastening out the door as a nurse and a pastor's wife to homes within the church where people were ailing, especially when little babies were fevered. I remember how active she would be in trying to minister to those families. When my mother passed away, my sister, who's also a nurse, received my mother's most valuable possession, she received her Bible. She's in heaven today, but her legacy has been the same, I believe, as Phoebe. She was one who carried the word and cared for others. Dear friend, whether you be a man or a woman, if you would be one who would be well-remembered, remember the example of Phoebe. Carry the word. Care for others. And then there's another example in this passage that we ought to focus on. In verse 3, were introduced to Priscilla and Aquila, her husband, who were helpers of the Apostle Paul in Christ. Priscilla and Aquila, names that are a bit more well-known. But did you notice that in this passage, Priscilla's name comes before her husband's name? And even today in some circles, that's a social no-no. But especially in the times of the Apostle Paul, it would always be typical for the husband's name to come before the wife's. Lock your notes that in the six times that Priscilla and Aquila are named in the New Testament, three of those times Priscilla is named before her husband. 
Why? Well, to find the answer to that question, you need to put on your sandals and travel a little bit with this couple. Back in Acts chapter 18, we're introduced to them. They're moving at that time from their home in Rome to their new home in Corinth. Again, in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, we find them in Corinth, in verse 18, moving from Corinth now to Ephesus. Now, as we open our Bibles to Romans chapter 16, they're back in Rome. They've moved from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus back to Rome. Priscilla had pulled up stakes, if you will, to serve the Savior. She was willing to go wherever God's calling would be. Her name means worthy one. Interesting name, worthy one. It means she came from a noble background. She was a noble background, from a noble background rather, who sacrificed her home in service for her Savior. Her home in Rome, in Corinth, in Ephesus, back to Rome. Now, sociologists tell us that one of the greatest, guys, you might want to listen to this for just a moment. One of the greatest needs of a woman is called the nesting need. If you're not familiar with this, pay attention. The nesting need means women like to feather their nest. They like to make sure that the place where they are living is just so. It's a normal thing. It's an abnormal thing to follow in the footsteps of Priscilla and see her moving from that place, one place to another, leaving her house, leaving her home. Somehow along the way, she had really meant it when she said, all to Jesus, I surrender. And when she traveled with her husband, we discover along the way that, in fact, in verse 5, Paul says, greet the church that is in their house. They were involving themselves in planting churches that came to be home churches. And this woman who was likely of noble birth, who had a noble name, who had likely known those who were rather elite in the culture, now was opening her doors and discovering what Paul said to the Corinthians, not many mighty are called, not many wise. Her home is becoming a place where the church is gathering. Priscilla's sacrifice helped lay the foundation of a mighty church in the capital cities, if you will, of the Roman Empire. But difficult cities, especially Corinth and Ephesus, port cities, where she would often be surrounded by difficult challenges. Some of you are familiar with the name Rosalind Goforth. In 1888, Rosalind Goforth had been six months as a missionary in China with her husband, Jonathan. Not knowing the situation of the mission work there very well, she met with a fellow missionary wife who's only recorded in the history books by the name Mrs. S. Mrs. S. had been out in a missionary junket going to teach the Bible to ladies in another village, and as she came back, Rosalind Goforth said, tell me about your experience. She wanted to learn. Mrs. S. said, well, she said, I went into the village and I sat on the platform bed with a lady and no one else came. I was all alone and so I decided I'll just read my Bible. And so as I read my Bible to her, the lady stopped me. and She began to weep and she said, Mrs. S., some months ago my sister died leaving me her children. I've been caring for my own children and my sister's children. I've been making the meals and sewing. I've been weaving clothing late into the night. 
I haven't even had time to pick the lice from the children. In fact, the bed that we're on right now is swarming with them. Of course, as Rosalind Goforth heard the story, she said, what did you do? Did you jump up off the bed? And Mrs. S., the fellow missionary wife, said, no. The Spirit of God compelled me with a verse that says, the love of Christ constraineth us. And she said, so I drew her closer and wept with her and shared God's word with her. Rosalind Goforth would later recall that she never got over that story. The story of someone who would sacrifice to meet the needs of others. And let me encourage you folks, if you would be remembered and leave a legacy, be willing to sacrifice. Priscilla and Aquila were people of sacrifice in service for the Lord. Now look at verse 7 with me this morning. We're introduced to another very special lady. We read of Junia. We read, Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Circle the word kinsmen. That doesn't speak of a Jewish heritage. Many others in Romans chapter 16 were of Jewish heritage. This speaks in this passage of a family relationship. And so we're reading of Junia. And as we read of Junia, let me encourage you to pray. To pray like Junia. No, the text doesn't tell us of her prayers. But we know this. She was in the faith before Paul. She was called a fellow prisoner. She'd been incarcerated. Why was she incarcerated? Was it her own testimony or the fact that she was related to this one who becomes known as the Apostle Paul? Paul greets six of his family members in this text. Andronicus and Junia in verse 7. Herodian in verse 11. In verse 21, Lucius, Jason, and Sospater, my kinsmen. Let me recommend that if you know families of faith, you know this for sure. That in families of faith, when someone has come to the Lord and others still have not, there are those who will be praying. There there are those who will be praying. Pray like Junia. No doubt she prayed for the Apostle Paul. I was talking to my father about this text years ago. And he said, you know, Chuck, it seems observable in ministry that no one comes to Christ unless somebody prays for them first. It's an observation that I've cataloged in my mind and found true. Junia likely is the one in Paul's family who prayed for him first. I've told the story before, but it seems fitting to tell it this morning. In February of 1935, Dr. Monroe Parker got off a train in Bevere, Kentucky. He got off the train invited to conduct a, a meeting In fact, on the train, when he told the conductor that he was going to Bevere, the conductor told him he was going to hell. Parker said, what do you mean I'm going to hell? I'm a preacher. I'm going to Bevere. The conductor said, oh, if you're going to Bevere, it's hell on earth. I meant that Bevere is hell. Did you hear what they did to the last evangelist that came to Bevere? Parker said, no. He said, well, they shot him, and the bullet that went through him went through his wife, too. They're both buried there. Parker thought the man was telling a tall tale until he got off the train, Pastor Wade grabbed him by the shoulder and said, quick, we got to go to the prayer meeting. Did you hear what they did to the last preacher that came to town? They got on their knees and they began to pray, Lord, don't let them kill this one. Parker said, nobody said amen to those prayers any louder than he did. By the end of the meeting, the church in Bevere had grown from 250 to over 500 people, the number of people had come to Christ as Savior. 
The meeting was protracted. In other words, it went longer than it was expected. There was no room in the building for people who were coming to Christ as Savior. My Aunt Gladys was in the prayer meeting in February of 1935. My grandfather wasn't. My Uncle Victor wasn't. She was there to pray for them. My Uncle Victor would come to Christ as Savior. My grandfather would get right with the Lord, and they would impact my father. In fact, my Uncle Victor would go back to that community and for many years serve as a pastor in Muhlenberg County, Kentucky, right there where that meeting had happened, where people had prayed. Have you been praying for a loved one for quite some time? Imagine this, that here all these years later, I can reflect on the fact that a family member prayed for a family member who prayed for a family member who prayed for a family member. Dear one, if you have family members who need to come to the Lord, remember, 2 Peter chapter 3 says, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't quit. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. There's one more name I want us to see before we're dismissed this morning. Look at verse 13. Salute Rufus, chosen of the Lord, and his mother and mine. Now, there are two ways to interpret this greeting. Rufus is to greet two mothers. That's one way to interpret it. His own and Paul's. But there's a second way to interpret this passage, and I think the second way is probably better. Who is Rufus and who is his mother? Well, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 21, we're introduced to a certain man by the name of Simon. You remember Simon who carried the cross for Jesus? His name is commonly called Simon the Cyrenian, Simon of Cyrene. And Mark must have been so acquainted with Simon, or well acquainted with Simon, because Mark calls the names of Simon's sons. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 21, his sons are listed. Their names are Rufus and Alexander. In other words, this man who by happenstance ended up carrying the cross of Jesus becomes so well that the gospel writer Mark not only knows Simon, but knows Simon's two sons, Rufus and Alexander. And the church historians tell us that this Simon the Cyrenian indeed came to be a believer. So when the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 and says, greet Rufus and his mother, who would the mother of Rufus be? Hey, remember, Paul traveled with Mark, and so Mark is often called the gospel of the Apostle Paul. I would submit to you that Rufus is the son of Simon the Cyrenian, and the mother of Rufus was Simon the Cyrenian's wife. We have here a household of faith. This woman had become so valuable to the Apostle Paul that he says, salute Rufus, chosen of the Lord, and his mother and mine. What did she do? She simply encouraged the Apostle Paul. My mind goes back this morning 40 years. I was a young youth pastor having recently lost my mother. It was sometime around Mother's Day. In fact, it may have been Mother's Day. I can remember where in the church I was standing when a little lady old enough to be my mother came up to me. I was serving as her children's youth pastor. She put her arms around me and she hugged me and she said, there, I did that for your mom this morning. I've never forgotten it. And people will not forget either if you send that card, if you share that word of encouragement. 
May God help each lady in this room, regardless of how many children you have or if you have none, to be that messenger of encouragement like the mother of Rufus. This Mother's Day, be a servant. This Mother's Day, be willing to sacrifice. This Mother's Day, be encouraged to pray, especially for family members. And this Mother's Day, may God help you to encourage others to leave a legacy for the Lord. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.